My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now, you guys know that I've been so interested in this movement towards non-alcoholic replacements for alcoholic drinks. I've had a couple people on the show, and I actually on Monday, on Faux Monday, had a great guest, Douglas Waters from Dry Atlas and Spirited Away, which is a non-alcoholic bottle shop, I believe what I call it, in New York City. So it's just kind of an interesting trend I'm seeing. I love a good trend. I think it's healthy. It's something I have been experimenting with and just thinking about being more mindful about consumption of alcohol because in New York City, everything has alcohol in it. It's unbelievable. Everything. And then you just sort of wake up one day and you're like, geez, like, what am, you know, what am I doing here? What, am I having alcohol just because it's thrust into my hand or do I actually want it? Or, you know, what are better choices I can make? So that's been in my head rattling around this year. And in the process of doing all that, I took some time away and did sort of like a dry spell during Lent. And I discovered non-alcoholic beer, in particular, this one brand called Athletic Brewing Company. Now, I had discovered it before, but I really did discover it during the pandemic because I just started drinking it more and picking it up at my local Whole Foods, and it's wonderful. And so I was really interested in the founder. And then I was able to get connected to him thanks to a friend, Peter, who suggested the idea, who's a listener of the show. And then through our friends at T-Boy, Jack and Nick, they used to be Market Snacks, but they had interviewed Bill, Bill Schufelt, who is the co-founder and CEO of Athletic Brewing Company, and they introduced me, and he came on the show, and he's amazing. He was a hedge funder. Now he has this brewing company. He's destroying it, absolutely killing it out there, and his story is amazing. He's such a good guest. I love this guy. I was fanboying the whole time. It was awesome. Okay, so Bill is the co-founder and CEO of Athletic Brewing Company, which is based in Connecticut and California. Founded in 2017, the company is widely credited with jumpstarting and destigmatizing the non-alcoholic beer segment to become the fastest growing and most exciting category in beer. Bill brought his finance background, he worked at Point72 to the business, as well as his love of beer. And he has done really well with it. He partnered with the awarded brewer John Walker. And he has drawn on his love of the outdoors and sports to brand the company. Since it launched in 2018, Athletic Brewing has gone on to become a top 20 craft brewery and the second largest non-alc beer brand in the U.S. And in 2022, Athletic was ranked as the 26th fastest growing private company in America by Inc. and was named to Time's 100 Most Influential Companies. That's pretty awesome. And on this episode with Bill, who is so impressive and amazing, Again, fanboying here. He's going to tell us why he got into this business, the inspiration, how he took that inspiration and made decisions to convert it into action. He's going to talk about how he escaped the treadmill at a very successful hedge fund, by the way. I mean, it's a, you know, it's Steve Cohen's thing. So it's 
very prestigious, but why he got out of that, right? And and went into the world of entrepreneurship and what that was like for him. And then how he has built this business, you know, just despite the odds, it's not easy, a lot of naysayers, but he has built something really special. Now, my small ask this week, again, I love this company. So tell somebody about it. Try the beer, tell a friend. If you know somebody who is not drinking for one reason or another, like I just met a man the other day, 91 years old. This is what he likes to drink instead of alcohol. Good for him. Tell somebody about Athletic Brewing Company and then share this episode with somebody and encourage them to listen. And of course, like and subscribe, FOMO Sapiens. All right, everybody. That is all I have for you today. So we are now moving on to the interview. And as you know, I like to ask the same question to every guest. So I started by asking Bill this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? Yeah, um, I guess I should have seen this one coming because you started every episode with it. Um, but I, I think like stopping drinking is the obvious one for me. Uh, about 10 years ago, I stopped drinking just for like health and lifestyle and performance reasons. And it was kind of just like the hard stop I needed. I got accountability in my life from everyone else and immediately started feeling better. This intellectual curiosity I hadn't had in decades of drinking, even if it's like one or two drinks a night, like you kind of shut off your mind for the night. I found myself sitting there at night and like exploring intellectual curiosities I had in, in decades and the wheels just got going and all of a sudden I loved not drinking and it was this biggest like performance life hack I've ever discovered. It improved my sleep, it improved my diet, it improved my mindfulness, my performance at work, my performance in life. And so it all kind of started with that decision. And I can say with 100% certainty, I would have just done a couple more decades of my financial career and kind of like drifted into retirement. But like, stopping drinking turn these lights on and like woke up intellectual curiosities that had been dormant for decades and so it, it's got to be that because like it improved my life in so many different ways wow it's funny because 10 years ago especially you know working in finance um you know the the, the, the culture of those jobs is very much around drinking i mean you kind of like work hard you go out you have a couple brewskis or whatever then you sort of get the train home or whatever, however you get home, stumble home, pass out, rinse and repeat, next day the same. And there's a lot of that in financial capitals across the world, especially, and it's like, and it, like England, it starts at like noon. I don't even know how they manage to work, but it is like a, it, it's just like a thing. And so when you stopped, I have to imagine like there was peer pressure, right? To, to continue kind of on that lifestyle. So how, how did you ma manage to resist that, you know, as you, as you sort of stopped drinking? Yeah. So a hundred percent that it was like a badge of honor to be hung over at work, especially early in my financial career. It was expected, especially early in your career, you'd be out three or four nights a week, entertaining, driving business, building relationships, and generally advancing your career, going to idea dinners. And I think a lot of that was like legacy behavior from maybe the eighties and nineties, even, uh, where, you know, it was like steak dinners, drinks, happy hour, and a lot of business happens outside of work. But I think a key element that was changing is there wasn't information at your fingertips all the time. So a lot of that relationship building had to be outside of work because you didn't have phones. You didn't have other ways to connect. You didn't have other ways to like do work outside of work. But when you start to have to like be accountable for your emails and reading and everything after hours, 
that definitely puts a ceiling on that. But so when I stopped drinking in 2013, you know, that was like five years after the advent of the iPhone and like Blackberries were in full swing. And so like the 24 seven responsibilities were definitely ramping up, but people had better information at their fingertips than ever before also. And so when I started to suggest things like, do you guys really want to do a steak dinner or maybe we do a berries boot camp or a soul cycle in the morning instead? The people like my counterparts on the cell side would be like, thank goodness you said that I would love to. Or in like, it went from like steak dinners being celebratory quarterly things to like two or three a week. And it was just like way too much saturation. And so, um, I, I think it was really receptive. Um, but even, but on the other hand, like even though I stopped drinking, I still loved being in those social environments with my colleagues with my friends, with my family. I love being at bars, sports bars, bachelor parties, weddings. And so just because I stopped drinking didn't mean any of that went away, but I just all of a sudden didn't have a drink also. Yeah, it's so true. I think about... I guess that would be FOMO, like yeah. literally the definition of FOMO. There's a guy who I don't know if you've seen anybody who's listening has seen, but there's a guy called Strauss Zelnick, who's a famous media executive. And he famously takes all of his... Uh, meetings as on a treadmill or walking or exercising and like his whole instagram is just him like working out with people all the time but i do think it's it is true there was a time and obviously this is super generational because you talk to people who are in their 20s now and they look at you like you're crazy there was a time where like you'd have expense account dinners every night and you'd be going to these i remember like working in finance in new york like these super expensive restaurants having these heavy meals with like tons of wine there's a reason why i put on like 25 pounds you know, between the ages of like 28 and 33. Whoops. And so <laughs> thank God I lost that. But, but it, there has been a change now. So you, uh, you made this personal change in your life and then you identified a business opportunity. Talk about the aha moment and then how you acted upon it. Yeah. So I was in all those places I love to be at with friends, family, colleagues, or even at home with my wife, having a good meal or just sitting on the couch in all those moments I used to have either a great craft beer or a nice glass of wine or a spirits drink or something. And humans are really conditioned to that behavior too. If like people have been drinking for 5,000 years and like the concept of having a drink in your hand as you relax is like very ingrained in a lot of ways in society. So standing in those places with your hands at your side is a very awkward experience um, that I think goes past our present learning i think it comes down to generations also there is like almost a lack of trust in people if you're not reciprocating their drinking behavior and so i was in all those places for about a year and a half after stopping drinking and it was just a very acute pain point but also i started to open my eyes up more and i was like i love being in these places and it's not about the alcohol it's about the people i'm with the food i'm eating the friends i'm with so that was an insight and then, like, so my enjoyment of social situations wasn't tied to alcohol. But then I also looked around and said, wow, I was drinking a lot more than most people. Like, most people in here are having, like, one drink. And it seems like there's two or three people in every group who aren't drinking at all. And then I know a lot of people who don't even go to bars and restaurants because there aren't any options for them. And so as I started to do actual research, it turns out 50% of people don't drink with any regularity at all. Like 50% of the population is basically sober and the adult beverage world misses on that. And as I started to complain about the hole in my life, how big the opportunity was potentially, my wife who was in business school at the time was probably very receptive to 
hearing in a business idea, which I didn't realize I had an idea. And we were walking to dinner one night and I was just doing my normal complaining about how bad the drink menu is going to be and how it's going to ruin the entire meal. And she grabbed my shoulder. I was like, that's an amazing idea. And I was like, what do you mean? And I had like no idea. I'd had an idea. And she was like, you should fix this. It's like, there's such an obvious need and the transformation in your life, you could help so many other people get to those more moderate endpoints. So it was the economic opportunity at first. I realized, hey, 50% of the adult population is underserved by the adult beverage market. Clearly a huge opportunity. And younger generations are drinking way less. But then as I started to actually do research, I was kind of reflecting on the positive impact stopping drinking had on my life performance and my overall health. I started to bump into stats in the real world that, hey, 15 million Americans are documented alcoholics. Uh, alcohol is the number three all-causes killer in the country, and it contributes to the top two, heart, cancer and heart disease. It's something like 5% of all cancer is caused by alcohol, um, I've read in studies. So for the first time, I, had, I kind of had this like empty lack of fulfillment in finance, and I looked at this idea, and there was potentially a huge economic opportunity, but also a really big like impact on tens of millions of people, their health, happiness, relationships, family structures. I was like, whoa, this is probably the only time in my life I can have a huge impact on people. And so after having that realization, it was not long until I was out the door on my day job. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Now, I'm curious, you mentioned that you were kind of like over financed. Do you think that, you know, 
was it that you had found when you find that next thing and you just kind of know, like you're like, this is wow. Did that drive the disinterest or were you already sort of ready? And it just, this thing popped into your life. Like which was first the chicken or the egg on that? Yeah. So I, I actually loved finance in a way that it was intellectually challenging, intense. It was math driven. It was very merit based. And so I loved all those things. It was like very much eat what you kill. So I could just outwork people and do better and rinse and repeat. And if you were, so I liked those elements, but there was just no fulfillment to it also. Like you could have the biggest win. I remember some of our best days ever, like days where we had trades that made like $300 million that should have been the best days ever. And I just went home with like the emptiest feeling. Mm. And I saw a chance in my career to have like a real impact on tens of millions of people. And that's what like, so it's not that I love finance any less. Like I really liked the people I worked with. They were the sharpest people, intellectually challenging. I still socialize with very many of them, but it's, it's just, I didn't have that fulfillment. Um, and so that, that's kind of when I was out the door on that. And I, I just haven't been able to turn it off too. Like I, I love sports and I used to spend Saturday and Sunday watching college football, NFL or any sports on TV or like I was the biggest sports enthusiast. I knew once I couldn't stop reading brewing textbooks or like get out of my business model, like in Excel for like NFL playoff football, I knew I had like a genuine authentic interest that I just couldn't turn off. Yeah, you know it's really true. I, 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 maybe I painted as as much more of a dichotomy, and has having worked on Wall Street myself, and a lot of people listen to the show who've gone from traditional careers or you know corporate life into entrepreneurship. It's not that you look back and you're like, boy, I hated that. It's more about like, I'm glad I did that. Look at all the things I learned. Look at the people I met, and then I was able to use it to find this thing that just like lights me up in a different way, where I can have an impact that's beyond arbitrage or whatever that you know one does in in a lot of these careers it's like you know there's just a lot more impact every it's like you know every movement you make has these second and third derivatives that you don't get when you're working in you know sort of a corporate job many corporate jobs so so that that's pretty awesome now you 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 were at point 72 which is Stephen cohen's um hedge fund uh family office i believe you know we all know Stephen cohen he's the owner of the mets and you know a big character in the world and many worlds like just a total guy now you are a trader and you turn this over and you become an entrepreneur and it's interesting because to me those are very different mindsets like one is a short-term mindset it's like in in a sense you're just trying to like you're trying to and maybe i'm just don't understand trading but you're just trying to drive on a daily basis you know, how do we get the most out of this trade? And it's like optimization kind of thing. Entrepreneurship is this long game of like, you know, having a long-term vision and like understanding the short term, you're not going to make any money. And it's like, it's, so it's a different kind of thing. How did you shift from, from one mindset to the other? Yeah. I learned a ton of things in that building. Um, I have a huge amount of respect for Steve and one of his traits and many people in that building that I really respect is that they show up every single day and they're so dialed in when they show up. Mm. And I've kind of learned in entrepreneurship. It's not a, a lot of people see maybe like the final two or three years of a startup and be like, Oh, that must've been an overnight success. And they miss the grind. And I think that's where like all the big wins happen is like showing up and grinding every day, changing, adapting, 
like the approach in any given week or month was not the same as it was the prior month. And it was like getting sharper all the time. And as you said, I'm like, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to like sharpen my intellectual tools in that building and take that out into the world. So I'm really grateful for that opportunity and really the overall intensity, because I, I think I'm so conditioned to just show up and have intense days, but like really fulfilling, exciting, challenging, challenge all my teammates. And I think I've carried a lot of the best elements of that world into the new world at Athletic Brew. Now, when you leave a job like that, you have a lot of people who are in an industry, they love it there and they sort of look at you and I've seen this a million times and they're sort of like curious, like, wait, why would you leave? Like, this is kind of the best job in the world. And you, you're, you know, you're in this amazing seat and I'm curious, like, was it, did you find it difficult from a, you know, uh, you know, when, when one goes from a very high prestige job into entrepreneurship, people can, you know, scratch their heads at you, or there could be sort of like, there's the loss of all the validation and the sort of perks of that life. Did you struggle with that? Or was that something that you were prepared for? You know, once the fire went on in my head about athletic brewing, mm-hmm. I just couldn't turn it off. And I, I couldn't even... There hasn't been even a single day where I think back and I'm like, oh, I, what would it be like to still be there? I've just totally moved on in my mind. The firm had been in existence for about 25 years by when I resigned, and almost no one had ever voluntarily left one of the jobs I was at hmm. to go on to a different opportunity. It was, as you said, like a place, like when you got there, there were great jobs, and you just tried to hold on to those positions. But yeah, that that being said, it was just uh, it was the right time. The light was on, and I couldn't possibly turn it off. All right, so you you leave, and then you decide, okay, I'm going to start a brewing company, which is you know that's not that's not easy. How did you figure out what to do? Like, what was your process to go from hey, I have this really smart insight about the consumer in the market to I'm going to have cans rolling off the shelves with a tasty non-alk beer that people actually want to drink with a really cool brand like how does one like how long does that take what are the big steps what were you know how did you how did you attack that well so i was so used to progress and being able to get anything done i wanted to get done i had 300 sell side coverages at my old job and every phone would ring on the first ring would be picked up on the first ring when i dialed out and when I resigned, I went to being literally last at the bottom of the rung of the beer industry, the smallest of the country's 9,000 breweries, and no one wanted to talk to me. I couldn't mm. buy a phone conversation, couldn't buy an email response. It was rejection from hundreds of brewers. I, I had built up a business plan and a strategy over the prior two years, and I felt really, I felt like I had a really good foundation of knowledge and planning in place. But I was totally missing practical, real-world brewing experience. And I was looking for a really strong co-founder who complemented all my skills in those ways. And so it took about five months of really grinding and putting myself out there, talking to people in the brewing world to find the proper co-founder. And the second I did, I knew it. Uh, John Walker, our co-founder and brewmaster, is an absolutely incredible human and so talented and has like run our facilities from day one. And so it it was a really long and dark five months until I got to that co-founder point. And then since then, me and John have been collaborating like crazy and growing this business since then. The saddest moment of that whole journey was uh, I had this 
map up on my wall in my home office where I put the pins in of all the cities I was going to travel to and talk to different breweries and everything. And I was going to try to meet brewers, contract brewers, suppliers, all sorts of different stuff. And I must have had 30 dots on the map. And every single one of them rejected my meeting and said they didn't have time. And so like one by one, the dots were coming out of this map. And my wife witnessed it. It was, it was just like the saddest thing. It was, I literally couldn't get a meeting anywhere in the brewing industry. And at that point I knew I really had to build this brick by brick ourselves with like no outside help. And so uh, we just, um, it started as two people that we brought on the third for the first 18 months, we were really five or six of us on the team. And then we really just ground every inch we earned for ourselves. FOMO. FOMO. That is such a good point that I want to just underline, which is the first time I did an entrepreneurial venture, I had been from the buy side. You know, you, you have the capital. So everybody answers your call and, you know, you are the king of the castle. And you go to the other side and you, people could give a flying one. I mean, people you've never heard of who you're like, well, this person should like pick it. No. And it is a very humbling thing. And I remember, it's funny, speaking of alcohol, I started this, I was helping my friend start a company um, and we were pitching like YouTube influencer packages to alcohol companies, to many companies. This was like 2010. So like nobody cared about YouTube. And a friend of mine, Amy Calhoun Rob, love you, Amy worked at Smirnoff and got us a meeting with their head of innovation. And he bought a pilot for $25,000. And I'd never sold anything in my life because I was always in the buy side. And I was in the elevator at their New York office, like jumping up and down, giddy. Because like, you don't realize how hard it is to sell when you're on the other side. And when you do, first of all, you have a lot more respect for everybody. Second of all, you recognize like the key to everything in life is sales. Like, it really is like sales drives. Like we don't talk about it at like Harvard Business School. There's no sales class. But like, I mean, it's crazy. I don't think maybe there is, but nobody took it. But it is like that bit of getting out there and knowing how to talk about your product and getting people to care about it and then putting up with the rejection and just pushing forward. Like that is a superpower that you must develop. You either have it innately or you must develop it when you launch a new venture. 100%. Yeah. And the more authentically passionate you are about it, the easier that selling gets also it's like i couldn't have sold anything but athletic brewing it like i had stories early on where so i went to anywhere any race that they'd let me set up a tent and i'd hand out hundreds of beers at the finish line but i'd also there were some days where i'd stand eight hours at a tent by myself at like a big race type event and have almost no one come up to my tent all day and i'd have to like i'd go stand on the other side of the tent and pretend i was a customer and be like, I love this stuff. And like, I, I'd literally pretend I was like a rabid fan of the brand on the other side of the table, just like talking to myself. And then, or I've, there was one particularly sad Friday night early in the life of the brand where I drove two hours on a Friday night to do a liquor store sampling. And I set up at the front of the liquor store and I just got made fun of by like wave after wave of high school kid with fake IDs. And like, they would take time to like stop just to make fun of me and then move on. And I remember I got home at like 11 p.m. And my wife was like, how was the sample? Like I'd driven four hours total to get there. And I was like, I, I gave out like two samples. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. That is, 
that's entrepreneurship. I mean, I, we've all been there. That is crazy. It doesn't like you always hear the story about like the Stonewall Kitchen founders who I, I, I did an internship with them in business school. They started out at these farmers markets and then, you know, but like the far, the first farmers market, people are like another blueberry jam, you know, it's but you think it's going to be so much easier. It's insane. What, what I love about the story and why I think it's so special is you're one of those entrepreneurs and there's, you know, it's, I think about a Luke Holden from Luke's Lobster or Andy Don of Bonobos, who when you meet them, they are their brand. Like they, there is nobody better than them to, to sell the, the thing or represent it because they are the embodiment of, of, of everything about the brand from who they are, where they were born, what they do, their hobbies, all the things. And so even though it's hard and you, you, it, it, it's interesting because in, in a sense, it's like a more of a personal rejection because the brand is you, but you are the best evangelist for that brand. And you develop this, this, I mean, athletic brewing company to me is a really, it's so aspirational. It drives FOMO because I feel like I'm going to have it. And yet it's like, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm putting out there an ego expressive, you know, sort of vibe about what I care about. And, you know, the fact that I want to be healthy, but also social, like, how did you come up with that brand? Like, where did, you know, was it just like an aha moment or did you like work with a consultant? Like, where did that come from? It was really just authentic elements of my life, as you were saying. Um, you know, I love the outdoors. I was on this personal progress journey myself. Um, like I consider myself an outdoor adventurer at heart. If, if I had more hours in the day, I would definitely spend more hours in the mountains and more hours trail running. And, but yeah, it was really just kind of an expression of myself. And you hit on a word I was really going for aspirational in the brand. Um, non-alcoholic beer had always been this sad penalty box highly stigmatized category where it was non-alcoholic beer got its roots in prohibition and then it didn't really change for 80 years and it had a really tough social start and it got absolutely no marketing support along the 80-year journey and no product formulation no new exciting things and so people viewed it in this really negative sense and at Athletic Brewing, we wanted to totally overhaul that, not only make it world-class product in the can that people were just like genuinely really excited to drink as like a reward during the day, but also we wanted it to be an uncompromising social experience also, where rather than like the old non-alcoholic beer category, you couldn't get it into a can, you couldn't get it into a glass and hide that bottle It's like fast enough. With Athletic Brewing, we really wanted to be something where actually it's 10 30 AM right now. And I just happened to be drinking one. I promise I didn't crack this for the show, <laughs> but we, we want it so that people when they're with their friends, with their family are really proud to hold it with the label out. And they're like, can't wait to tell their friends about it. Can't wait to tell their friends about two for the trails or like the calorie count or how it makes them feel. And so everything we've tried to do with the brand is aspirational, positive, universal. So like travels across borders, fine. And, Yeah. Yeah. I just think it says I'm making a choice. Like I'm being mindful about what I'm doing. Maybe I'll have a, you know, next I'm going to have an IPA that is not athletic maybe, but you know, tonight I don't want to have seven beers. So I'm going to have some athletics and then maybe I'll have something else or maybe I won't, but I'm making a choice. I'm not just letting the world impose peer pressure or whatever onto me. And the fact of the matter is like, you know, everybody, this is now a hot category. You have Heineken zero in there. You have a bunch of these players. Um, 
but they're they're doing some well they're they're actually pretty good like i I've, I've tried Heineken zero it's a, it tastes good but it's not yeah. i don't know it doesn't feel it doesn't Heineken's great yeah, yeah. but it, it's not new and so i think being the player that says I'm going to give you a new experience that's a little different that also is a brand you can feel excited about. That's that's some power. I did mention the word mindful. And I want to ask you, I read that you're a meditator and many of us here on FOMO Sapiens are, including myself. I'm curious how that has played into your work as an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's so it's, I think it helps level out the peaks and valleys of my day and helps keep me focused on the long term. Mm. I, I have two different meditations. I do, they're kind of personal building blocks of each meditation that I cobbled together. So I have one in the morning and one at night. Um, the morning is much more goal focused and there's a bit of gratitude, but it's also loving kindness, like the people I wish to have a good day in my life that day. And then I reiterate my long term goal 16 times. And then I think that subconsciously keeps me on track towards my goals. I think things just happen in my life and that I'm doing subconsciously to keep me on track towards that goal. And then at night, I also, you know, it tends to be 10 minutes right before I fall asleep or read my book um, at night. And that's much more gratitude focused. It's the things I'm thankful for in my overall life, the things I'm thankful for that happened that day. And then also reiterating my long-term goal before I go to bed and then just staring at a wall um, and like really trying to just clear the decks before I go to sleep. And part of that evening one is I've always found that I, I think as humans, we're so conditioned to work on the negative things in our life. And, you know, if something is fine, we kind of just put it over here and we work on the constructive things. But like very often you could have a great day where five or six awesome things happen and you're focused on like the one thing that may have gone wrong or stressing you out a little bit. And so at night before I go to sleep, I try to refocus on those like five awesome things and just be thankful for it. And I think that's helped me kind of take the wins more than I used to in my life. Um, you know, in entrepreneurship, like who knows where this journey ends up, but I'm like trying to be really cognizant with our co-founder to enjoy all the mileposts along the way of the journey. It's a, yeah, it's a really good point. That scarcity mindset is so pernicious. And what happens if you think about it, say, you know, you're on your deathbed, hopefully many, many years from now, you're not going to do, you're going to do the highlight reels. You're not going to do the, whatever the opposite of highlight reels. You're not going to be like, let me think about the 10 crappiest things that happened in my life. No, you're going to be thinking about the 10 great things. And they may be little things like, I love the way coffee tastes, whatever that is. So like, why would you choose to focus on the negatives every day when, you know, over the positive, when probably the positives outweigh? It's a really good point. I want to ask you why 16 on the, uh, on the goal repetition, why that number? just a lucky number it would be 15 but 16 is a lucky number so i go for 16 i didn't know if there was like brain science behind that that's okay too (laughs) i love that i like so you you know i meditate every day a lot of people here do on on the show it's something we talk about i started four years ago and i like what i like about what you said is i think for some people um i was at a conference recently with a bunch of finance people and I was talking to people, do you meditate? They all want to, but they're like, I just can't do that. And I think when you put meditation in a space where it's also about setting goals and also, you know, there's like a, 
it, it for some people who may be skeptical, it seems much more practical and it doesn't have to be like meditation doesn't have to be a monk on a mountaintop. It can be something that is very much practical. It's just that we have a messed up. It's kind of like with alcohol, we have the wrong messed up mindset. Um, I don't know, it's very powerful. One, one last question for you, Bill, which is this, we skip forward five years. Like, where will you be? Where is athletic going? Like, what are you trying to build? What's, what, what is this vision that you're repeating 16 times in the morning every day? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's a lot more of what we're already doing. Um, you know, everything we've built at Athletic Brewing is meant to be scalable. And so we want to scale our impact and scale our distribution, scale our team and everything and move into different countries. I uh, hope to be much more multinational at that point. Um, but really, we're just scratching the surface. Um, non-alcoholic beer has gone from about 0.3% of the beer category to about 2% of the beer category since we've started. Um, in some leading grocery chains, it's over 10% of the beer category. So I do think non-alcoholic beer in the next five to 10 years is headed to 10 to 20% of all beer. I really think in my head, it's going way past that over time. Um, something you touched on earlier in 2015, there were basically no name brands in the alcohol, in the non-alcoholic beer category. It, everyone had sub brands and things you hadn't really heard of, but now Athletic has permissioned a lot of the major beer brands to come into the category with their flagship beer. So you're seeing Heineken Zero, Bud Zero, Guinness, Corona. Everyone's kind of putting their main beer in non-alcoholic format. And I think that's going to help the stigmas around the category fall way faster than people expected. And if people can open up any menu anywhere and get exactly the same thing in non-alcoholic or alcoholic form, I think non-alcoholic beer is headed way past 20% of the overall beer market over time. And that might be extra occasions, extra populations, and a lot of growth. So I, I think it's where every other adult beverage trend historically has been a one-for-one substitution, like a new flavor or new type of alcohol. This is actually just true new occasions, new populations. And I, I think for the first time in literally thousands of years, humans are rethinking the way they drink. And so I, I think this is just going to be a major moment for not only the industry, but like the health and productivity of humans too. So I'm, I'm super excited about that path ahead. All right, everybody. Listen, if you want to try Athletic Brewing Company, you can go to their website, find Stockists, but they're kind of everywhere, at least in the United States. And you can buy it for somebody in your life who may want to change their relationship with alcohol because it is very tasty, I'll tell you. It's not that you have to give it up entirely, but if you can supplement a little bit and change behavior, it's a pathway to something that could be really good. If you want to find out more about the company, they're on all the socials at Athletic Brewing. All right, Bill Schofeld, co-founder and CEO of Athletic Brewing Company. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Patrick. Really appreciate you having me on. Love what you do. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.